You are listening to the Indie Game Development Podcast Show, sponsored by CurioSoft Kids Games and the letter E. Visit the Indie Game Development Podcast site at www.indiegamepod.com. By that time, I was already sort of starting to think really deeply about the implications of design, and it's been something that it affects the game that I'm working on, but the game that I'm working on is still uh, it's it's still very much um, contained by the initial game that I started four years ago um, on a whim without really thinking about the design. So it's not it doesn't really quite reflect where my design sensibilities lie at the moment, even though it's influenced by them. But I, I was I decided I discovered by that point that um, you know the design is really the difficult part this is the really challenging part about yeah. making a game and it seems so easy from the outside because when you see a game that does everything right it just does it so effortlessly it's <laughs> so simply with just a few things that you know the the menu the interface is it's just a couple of buttons and and the gameplay it's only a few things but they just work so perfectly together that you think this there's nothing to it but the iterations that you have to go through to, to reach that kind of master stroke yeah it's just enormous and um, I'm constantly frustrated by you know I see all of these design implications and try and balance things but I'll end up writing something extremely complicated because I'm trying to cover all the angles and make sure that everything works together and and then I have to just like strip it back and say this solution is, is too convoluted, it's too complex, I'm trying to cover everything but it's not elegant, I'm looking for that, that beautiful simple way of covering things with one little element Yeah. and I don't think that, um, that you can discover that really by reading books or, 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 or thinking about um, design on, on a philosophical le level, like an, on an abstract level I think that um, you know half of it is just making a lot of mistakes and fixing those mistakes and just going over and over and over your work and smoothing it out and trying different things until you find something that you can say, I, I can live with that, that's good. And the other thing that I've been trying to do is just play lots and lots of games. Um, being in Japan is just... Um, <laughs> Must be heaven. Well, it's, it's heaven and hell. Because there's so there's so many games, and I don't have much time to play them, but I'm making the most of my time to just collect games. Um, I go to the flea market every week, and I've been buying old games, cheap games. Okay. I, I was never a console gamer. Um, back in New Zealand, I you know I had an Amstrad, and then and I played on the Commodore 64, and I eventually got an Amiga and a PC, and I know the history, you know, the old history of, of computer games. I mean, I know about arcade games because I went to arcades, but I missed out on a lot of the 90s when I was sort of more interested in music. And okay. I, I missed out on a lot of the console gaming things. So one of the things that I've been doing this last couple of years is I've been buying lots of consoles and lots of console games, like hundreds, thousands of them. So and, wow. and a lot of them from from the flea market, so they were cheap. So I got a Super Nintendo and hundreds of Super Nintendo games, and a Mega Drive, and I got a PlayStation One and uh, Sega Saturn, which I really like my Sega Saturn, uh, PlayStation Two and uh, uh, GameCube and, and uh, Nintendo sixty four. I've got just about all the Nintendo sixty four games, and I haven't had much of a chance to play most of them because I have been really busy and I've been collecting these games like they keep I keep getting more every week that I don't have time to play but I have a little look at, at all of them as they come in and I sort of set them aside for future reference and one of the things that's interesting about playing lots and lots and lots and lots of games is that a few of the games will really stick few of the games will really grab you, even though all of these games are coming in, there's still been the occasional game that's really hooked me, and that's been like a really interesting thing to um, just to take note of which games do that and, and try and figure out why why has this game 
really grabbed me. Why am I playing all of this Goldeneye, and why am I playing Radiant Silvergun when I didn't like playing Ikaruga, which is the sequel to Radiant Silvergun? Why does this one game hook me and the other one doesn't? So that's one thing that, that is, is really interesting about studying games. And the other thing is just all of the little details that you can learn. Uh, yeah. Just picking up on, on the tiniest thing, um, and it could come from even a really rubbishy game. It could be just, oh, I really like that idea for that power-up, or I like the way that they've handled this menu. And so I'm thinking about my own game all the time, always looking for these tiny little details, seeing all of these other games, and you just pick the tiny little bits out. So I think that the more games that you can see and experience, just the more resources that you have to draw on. So I'm trying to just really cover everything I can, play all the games that people say are great games, and every other game that I can get my hands on, and at least just play it enough to sort of understand what it is. Okay. So over the course of the Claytis, uh, Clay project, you're developing your design sensibilities. What would you say are um, games that you've played now that you find to be very compelling designs? Well, of course it changes all the time, um, and it's not always appropriate to the project. Like, I, as I say, I got really hooked on Radiant Silvergun um, a while back, and it, that game just impressed the hell out of me because it was uh, so full of ideas that I'd never seen in a shooter before. It really impressed me with how much you could innovate, how how much you could like not take standard thinking for granted and do things differently. And that was a game that I really wish that I'd played before I made Platypus because it might have challenged me to to like face some of my assumptions about what a, a shooter game had to be. And um, for a while after playing that, I ended up putting a, a lot more uh, complicated combo systems and things in, into my game. And, and I ended up having to change a lot of that when it was just sort of unbalancing things a bit. Uh, you know, a lot of things, I'll, I'll get into something and then I'll try and, and sort of say, that that's really great, uh, I'll make my game a little bit more like that, but then you have to strip it back again because it's you've taken it too far and you keep what works. Yeah. Um, what's uh, another game by Treasure that I re really, really liked was uh, Gradius V just in terms of making a really, really fun Gradius game that was better than the previous Gradius games. Um, playing these shooters has really, really made me want to uh, make another shooter again, which I probably will do after I finish okay. the current game. What type of game is Claytis Clay? It is... It's kind of a platform beat-em-up. It's like a platformer game, but it doesn't have the same kind of it's not sort of from the Mario school of platformers um, because you, you're not, it's not really about progression from one area to the next. It's not so much about the dodging obstacles and, and the running and jumping and, and making your way from left to right. It's more of, an, uh, it's more of a beat-em-up platformer combo kind of thing. So you're set in each level is a confined environment. Some of them are kind of large, some of them are quite small. And you have to like fight a certain amount of enemies before you can progress. So, in terms of games that it's kind of similar to, there's I don't know if there's many I can think of offhand. It's I guess it, it's got something of that um, Super Smash Brothers kind of aspect to it, in that it's got the platform beat 'em up combination, but no, it's not like a one-on-one -on -one fighter like. Um, Super Smash Brothers. It's one where you fight lots and lots of drones. So okay. You've ex you've mentioned uh, experimentation for the game design and also making sure that it's balanced. Can you walk me through the specific types of prototyping or what you're doing to make sure that Claytis Clay has that you know game design sensibility you're talking about? Well, I mean, if I knew then what I know now, I would have. Um, I would have prototyped it aggressively before I got started, and I would have found out so much more about what works and what doesn't work. Um, 
but I did just dive straight in and start making the game. One of the things that I've learnt to do is to um, try adding things into the game before I make a whole lot of fancy animated graphics for it because then it's a lot um, less painful to change it or remove <laughs> it if it doesn't work out quite how you expected. Um, so that's something that I've tried to do more. Um, I think a, a lot of it has just been trying things and taking them out when they don't work and or just doing things over and over like the menu systems I I'll just keep doing it you know if it's I'll make it and I'll think that's all right and I'll leave it and then later I'll be thinking it's really not that all right and it's kind of bothering me a little bit and then later I'll be like oh to hell with this I'll make another menu system and I'll make a better one and then I'll leave it alone and I've I've reworked the GUI in the menu so many times just because it's never quite been what what I've been happy with and you always know I think when you've got something that works because it stops bothering me um, okay and I'm not pressuring myself to finish it any time you know I haven't because this is I'm working full-time I haven't launched myself as a game developer yet as, as a career I figure that this is a time when I can spend as much time as I need to without any pressure to just make sure that there's nothing in the game that really bothers me. So I'll just keep fixing it and, until it's until it works. Okay. What about user testing? Now that uh, you're making all these prototypes and experiments, are you doing any type of user testing? Yeah. I, I learnt my lesson from Platypus and making the game too hard. I do... I have sent out a few um, betas to people, or alphas, whatever they are, um, <laughs> prototypes to people, work, works in progress. Um, but I've been quite selective in, in who I send them to because I think, not not just because it, it it's painful to me to show uh, unfinished work to people, but also because I think it's really valuable um, to hear feedback from people who have never seen your work before. Um, that's like one thing that a tester can give you that you could never hope to understand yourself is that feeling of playing the game for the first time because you never see the game for the first time. It, you saw it sort of grow from nothing, so you never get that impact, that first first time impact of playing the game. Um, and so, when you give a a demo to somebody, you've sort of you've spoiled them for that as well. So I don't want too many people to see the game too early on because I always want to have a few more people that I can hit them with for the very, very first time and gauge their initial impression of it. But um, okay. every time I, I send it out to people, I, I do take very careful note of everything they say and it usually um, results in a whole raft of other changes. Um, if, I, if I send out a demo to a few people, I'll, I'll end up um, like having conversations, messenger conversations with them about, you know, how, how did it go, what did you like, what didn't you like, what, what was the first thing that struck you, you know, what was the thing that annoyed you, and I'll take all of that on board and I'll end up probably a whole lot of changes come by. Um, but there's still, you know, many more iterations to go. Um, I haven't even got to the final stage yet where the game is, like, feature complete and I'll start giving it out to people and just sort of gauging the difficulty curve, things like that, where I'll do the final tweaking and make sure that people's experience of the game is as satisfying as possible. So at the moment, I'm more trying to just see the ways in which people play the game. That's It's quite an interesting thing, especially if you can stand there and watch someone playing your game without saying yeah. anything. Just seeing what they do, seeing how they want to play it, what their in natural instinct is, and, and thinking, am I, you know, am I accommodating that, or am I frustrating that? Is the game behaving the way they think that it should? Are you doing all of the things that you can to make sure that you have a shared understanding of of what this game should be without having to explain it to them? Okay. Now you talk about experimentation with the uh, gameplay and game design. What about the art style, is that going to be changing anything, or is there going to be anything different in the art style for Claytus Clay compared to your previous games? Well, everything that I do with the, um, with the art style is 
a development from the previous. Um, Platypus was done purely using um, you know, 2D sprites. It had no scaling, rotation, transparency, so it was quite limited in that respect. Um, Cletus Clay is made with a... It's made in 3D. It's a 2D game made, made with 3D hardware, so... Uh, you know, there's there's nothing unusual about that now, but four years ago that was um, it was kind of unusual to see it hadn't been done that much. Um, so I was already playing with new things, and it made a huge difference just to have anti-aliased edging on the sprites, because it meant suddenly that I was able to assemble something from more than one part, and because the um, because the edges were anti-aliased, you couldn't tell that it was made from more than one part. You wouldn't see a jaggy edge where the um, where the head oh, okay. was attached to the body or anything. It would look exactly the same as a single continuous sprite. So one of the things that I've been able to do with this game is I've been able to assemble things from small pieces. And some of the, um, some of the objects in the game are assembled from 20 or more individual sprites in order to give it uh, as much flexibility and keep the download size as small as possible. And also I've been able to play with lighting effects and transparencies and uh, scaling and rotation are, are all, you know, things that I couldn't do with the last game. But I think one of the things that really interests me about the clay animation with regards to computer graphics is that it does pose uh, some interesting challenges for the artist because you're basically you're trying to create an effect which is photorealistic I mean if I'm trying to make a game that looks like clay animation which is photography which is you know real it's in order for the effect to be fully convincing it needs to be totally photorealistic but it's not possible to fully do that and I still want to do it with real clay. I want to use real models. I think that's kind of important that you've got that sort of physical aspect to it. So I'm not looking to do it just with a, a really, really fancy render, um, but to try and create an illusion um, using all kinds of, of funny little tricks that I can put together. So it's really interesting to sort of devise these these little methods of, of how do I animate a waterfall, or how do I do this or that, uh, how do I kind of make it look 3D, um, and I know that the effect that I have at the moment isn't completely convincing, I know that it's not a totally realistic effect, I think it's quite an interesting effect, but there's still scope for me to, to push forward into other areas, and one of the things that sort of I have in my mind when I'm thinking about future projects is new graphical techniques that I could try thinking, you know, I wonder what it would look like. It was like when I first started making Platypus, it was a case of I wonder what it would look like to see all of those hills moving in different parallax layers. So there is oh, okay. there is an element of, of wanting to experiment with the graphics. I think I'm not in I'm not completely committed to the clay thing. I think that this is a good thing for me to be working with at the moment. I definitely want to make a few more games with it. I think it's an excellent branding thing for me to use. For yeah, the absolutely. Um, but it's not my entire um, being. I'm, I'm quite happy to work with other styles as well. But I do think that there is a lot more that I could do with the clay that I haven't managed to do yet. And until I've really nailed it, I probably will keep going with the clay. Okay. Folks say that you should innovate in maybe only one area of a game. And it seems like you're trying to innovate not only in the game design, but you're also trying to innovate with the graphics. Do you see any – I mean, has that caused any issues or well, delayed things? Or Oh, certainly delayed things, but I'm not too worried about that. Um, okay. It doesn't – I mean, the idea that you should only innovate in one area or whatever doesn't really concern me. I'm not really thinking about uh, practicalities of, of selling and that. Not that much. I mean, I want to make a good game, and I think that if I make a good game, I'll probably be able to sell enough copies of it to make it worth my while. 
what it, okay. I mean, whether it's this game or, or another game, but I'm not thinking about sort of marketing aspects or how much innovation is too much innovation. That sort of thing doesn't really concern me. I'm just, I just want to make the games that as, as good as I can. And I, I don't know that I'm really innovating that much anyway. It's, I'm not copying, I'm not directly copying another game, but it's not a radical game design. Um, I'd like to try some more radical game designs, but I don't necessarily think that that innovation is is the thing that, that everybody makes it out to be. I mean, a lot of people say innovation, that people talk about innovation a lot. It's important to innovate. Uh, you can't in innovate too much, and we need more innovation in the games industry. But one of the things that I noticed when when I was playing these games that, that grabbed me um, in the sea of games that, that come my way is that it's not always the innovation, the innovative games that I want to play. It's There's something else that, I mean, first of all, the game should be fun. Um, yeah. And it shouldn't do anything to sort of get in the way of that fun. I think it's really important that you remove as many barriers as possible to people actually getting in and enjoying the game. But I think that um, more than innovation, I really like to see a bit of heart in, in the game. I like to see that, that somebody, the person who made it, really cared about it, and they've really put themselves into it. And to me, that's more important than um, you know just creating something new or, or wildly different, to just just feel that sort of care that's being, that's being put into it. With that said, have you seen any indie games that you feel have a lot of heart or have the game design that you find addictive? Well, um, I, I usually quote Hamamu as the, um, the game designer who puts a lot of themselves into, into their game design because I always, you know, I always know you can always spot one of his games. Um, and there's a few other people. I, th I think it's really important for an indie developer to... Um, to have their own style. I think that whatever you do, you should be thinking, you know, how how is this me? Will people know that this is one of my games? And I think people should know, you know, when they see your new game, they should know that it's your game and it's not somebody else's game because they should see that there's something about it that is peculiar to your own style. I think it's important to have that. And I don't see that much of it um, around these days because... You know, so many people are, are working on, on building their businesses and getting slick, and, and we're seeing people um, successfully becoming slick, but they're just they're doing it so well that, that it, they could be done by anybody, a lot of these games that are coming out. The other thing is that um, I, keep, um, I keep in touch with what everybody's been getting up to, but I actually don't really play games on the PC very much at all okay. anymore. Um, so I don't actually spend a lot of time playing indie games or any other PC games. There's just something about the PC that um, it feels like I should be working when I'm on the <laughs> PC, you know? So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, do you have any favorite PC games? Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's like I say, I, ha I barely played PC games at all in the last few years. Um, I think actually being expected to program my own game has spoilt the PC for me a little bit. And, and just getting into consoles has... I mean, I wish I could develop console games, really, because consoles are... are they just... I really enjoy playing on consoles a lot more. You, you know, you put the game in, you turn it on, it goes. There's no installation, there's no problems, there's no worrying about your system. You've got a controller in your hand that is not only designed for playing games, but the game that you're playing is designed for that specific controller. Yeah. So I really do enjoy playing console games a lot more, and I wish that um, I wish that it was easier for us to get our games onto consoles because I think that you know we're only making PC games out of necessity for the most part. I mean, there's a few people who are making games that work really, really well on the PC for like. Um, for example, Klifsky's games, I think, are a natural fit for the PC. That you know, they're mouse-driven, the high-resolution yeah. screen. They're sort of more thoughtful, strategic kind of games. Um, but the kind of games that I like to play, the mostly sort of more action, adventure, immersive sort of games, are 
it's not really their natural home on the PC, and, and I'm only making PC games because it's the only platform that's available to us. Okay. Uh, going back to the concept of games that have a sense of identity and soul, what do you then view your games then as an expression of yourself, or how, how are you balancing this concept of being an artist versus having the business sensibilities to have a successful indie game studio? Oh, well, I don't have any business sensibilities, so that's not so much of a problem. <laughs> I haven't had to worry about that yet. I mean, that's coming when, when I actually do have to do the marketing and stuff like that. That hasn't happened yet. I'm making good money working and doing okay. the indie games. So it it's largely hasn't been a problem, but I do... I do think that the games are an extension of myself. I do try and, and, and put myself into the games, but it's even more um, it's even more the other way around than that. It's almost like I um, the games are not uh, an extension of me, but rather I sort of become taken over by the game. I'm just... The game's got a life of its own, and I'm just trying to do what I think is best for the game. Um, whether that's best for me or not is is not really a factor. I'm, I I think that's quite common as an artist that you get this feeling where the work takes over, and you're just focusing on the work, and you're thinking, how can this be better? And you see yourself just as a tool, or like as a paintbrush or something, that whose job it is to make sure that this work comes out the way that it wants to come out. Rather okay. than being, you know, coming from you, it's kind of a weird thing. So, are you feeling then that this game is a different type of organism or a different type of living thing, or is this game something that's actually extending back into you? Well, I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's like a living thing. It's it's just sort of a metaphorical thing. But it's you get you do. I mean, a lot of people. Um, sort of who work in, in different artistic medium will tell you that there's a point where you feel that you're not, you know, the work isn't serving you anymore, that it's your job to sort of do what what is required. Um, and this is something that happens a lot, say, when you're playing music, when you're improvising music uh, with a group of people, that um, it comes sort of, it gets to a point where the music arrives and it when the music arrives, it starts writing itself, and the musicians are just there to sort of work it. And it's irrelevant whether it's the kind of music that you like or you don't like. You just have to... Well, you're not even conscious of it. It's like the music is just being played. It's Okay. I, I, I don't want to be too mystical about it or anything like that. It's not... Because it is... A, it's more down-to-earth than that, but it is a weird feeling where... You just kind of surrender yourself to the work, and you try and just make sure that it that you are a a, um, a medium for it, that it's allowed to come out the way that it wants to, without you sort of imposing yourself or your will or twisting it too much. When did you reach that point with Cletus Clay? Um, of the game dictating how? Yeah, it's kind of it's hard. It's hard to say. Uh, I, it was probably like that early on because I never, I never tried to sort of give it much thought. As soon as I committed to making the game, uh, it started to happen. You know, as soon as things started happening on the screen, and, and I wasn't thinking about how how is this going to be easy to develop or how is this going to work with the market, I was mostly thinking about you know what does it need now, what how okay. what is what would improve it the most, what's working, what's not working. Um, so my instructions come from the game, and it, it tells me when it's when it's not right because it starts annoying me, and I have to fix it. Okay. How long do you expect Claytis Clay to be? Like, how many minutes or hours do you want the gameplay or the game to last? Okay. Well, it's going to be a longer game than Platypus. Of um, people did, I did get feedback that the game was too short, and I felt bad about that. Um, but not too bad about it, considering <laughs> everything. Um, but I realised that I, I needed to find some strategies to, to make the game like play out a bit longer. Um, I'm hoping to have between 80 and 100 levels in it, and I haven't decided that exactly, but somewhere around that mark 
at least 80 levels. And um, they'll probably, on average, take you about two minutes to play through if you if you make your way through it without um, without dying or anything, if you made your way all the way through it. But not all of the levels are compulsory, so um, I'm trying to avoid the, um, the whole thing of getting stuck on hard levels, and it also means that I can make some really hard levels that aren't compulsory that you can play or not play. Um, and I've put in a bunch of stuff to... Uh, encourage people to go back and replay the levels to get a higher score or to find the bonuses or unlock special bonus levels and secret content and things. Interesting. So, what what did any games inspire that game design decision? Oh, yeah, yeah, lots lots of games. Um it's almost it's almost hard to piece together because and I would just like take small things from so many places. It was like um Okay. I was playing um Super Mario Brothers 3, I think, and, and I thought, why why don't I have a world map that I can go and play any level at will? This is, you know, I need to have a world map. And so I started to think about a world map. Um, yeah, it's 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 hard to say where all of the little ideas came from because yeah. you just pick just the smallest things from, from so many different places. Okay. Um, when I first made the game, it was just a, a case of you had lives and you played through from one level to the next, and you made your way through the episode and you get a restart point and that. And it was the game was probably going to be a lot shorter um, that way. But then I retooled it, and it's now more of a game where you can play through from start to finish, um, just unlocking the levels as you go, and you'll get an ending if you do that. But you also have the option of just dipping into every level, and each level plays as its own sort of little mini-game. It records your score for each level separately, and your best okay. for each level. And there's, um, I've included like a, a star hidden on each level that you can find, which is kind of more of a puzzling element that you can go back and play or not play if you want to. Um, so hopefully there will be more um, impetus there to go back and play again. Um, you know, even if you just played through from start to finish and you had it set to easy and um, and you didn't die, uh, with 80 to 100 levels or maybe two minutes each, we're still talking about a good three hours just to play through. So hopefully it'll be enough to satisfy people. It's um, okay. one of the difficult things with making these kinds of content-driven games. I, I want to keep things interested, interesting. I want to make sure that people have got enough new stuff the game isn't boring as they play through, and yet I can't make a game that's too short because then you're shortchanging people. So that's okay. that's one thing that I do get caught up on, just generating content. Are you going to have a level designer in the game so that people can make their own levels then? No. In fact, um, my level design and is, is so convoluted um, and, and it and contains hard-coded elements that it, it's basically... Um, it's next to impossible to get anyone except for me to even design levels for it. And uh, that's another thing that I learned, that I really should have made a more um, a more user-friendly level designer, not so that I could let people design their own levels, but um, just so that a couple of people who have volunteered to help me make levels could maybe have an easier time of contributing to that. So far, like nobody's managed to... Um, to help me out with that yet because I've just made that process so difficult. But um, it's not the kind of game which is really set up for you to be able to make levels easily okay. as a user because it's not tile-based or anything. Everything's sort of intricately decorated and, and placed. Um, I did consider having a kind of a, a sandbox. Uh, I may still do this. I may not. Yeah. Um, but like right at the end... Like when you make your way through a ga the game, maybe just having a sandbox where you've got a few basic levels and you can just set parameters, like how many um, how many enemies, you know, how what kinds of enemies, what weapons have you got, how many, and and you can just set these kinds of parameters because that's kind of separate from the level design. The level design is is pretty inaccessible, but I could give people the ability to change the the actual action parameters, and I might still do that. I'll see. Okay. 
So you've posted screenshots on your site, and people are really anxious to want to play this game. So when when are they going to be able to play this game? Well, I'm anxious too. That's why I'm always, yeah, that's why I'm asking. I know. I it, it, I always have to apologize because people have been asking me this for years. Um, the difficulty is that I really don't have that much time to work on it, and also that okay. I, I do change my mind a lot, and and I end up working on things and then hating them and having to remove them. So I can never guarantee that things are going to run smoothly from now until completion, and I can also never really say how much time I'm going to have in any given week to work on it. I've, um, I've had a week off work this work week, so I've been working on it pretty hard all week, but most of the time I'm kept fairly busy with, with work and family. Um, I can say that it is... Um, it's almost entirely feature complete. It's, oh, cool. Um, maybe half the level design's done. Um, most of the menus and stuff are done. The bosses are not in yet, and um, and there's a whole bunch of cool extra bonuses and things that I'd like to put in. And I haven't really worked on the music very much yet. So I, I can give you a kind of an idea of, of where it's at. I'm not quite sure exactly how long it will take. But um, I really do want it to have it done within the year um, so that when I finish this work contract and go back to New Zealand, I've got this finished game, I can start being a game developer. So it is important that I have it ready at least by that time, hopefully sooner. Um, okay. But when the game is released, um, I'm going to have to, um, you know, there's, there's not going to be any more four-year game development cycles. <laughs> I'm going to try and put out like a game a year after that. That's because I can't sustain this as a game developer, and it's well. Well, see, that's a good question. Um, so let, let's now take it to present day. And you've had all these game design experiences, and um, you've played all these other games, and you've been through the whole journey. What are you going to do different? And what would you recommend for other developers or people who are looking to get into this to do differently, so that they can? create a game that they're proud of, but at the same time that they can do it in a manner where it's businessly, you know, feasible. Feasible. Well, the first thing that I'd do differently is I would probably think about it a lot more before just starting a game on a whim. I'd, I'd actually just make a proper design, think it through, probably just make lots of prototypes and, and pick the best okay. one. Rather than, I mean, with the last couple of games, I just started them, and it was really just a snap decision. Just like, well, what game should I make? Oh, yeah, I'll make that one. And <laughs> just starting it and, you know, making it up as I went along. I think it would be so much better if I actually did the groundwork before starting. But having said that, I probably wouldn't have been able to do that effectively at the time. It's only after you've learnt the lessons... Yeah, absolutely. That you can actually make an intelligent plan. So I, I don't know if, if, if there's any way that I really could have done it better. I guess I could have made smaller games, you know, been less ambitious. But at the same time, I thought that's what I was doing um, because I wasn't, I wasn't tackling my <laughs> ambitious ideas, you know. I'm picking the small ones and they just... I, okay, so... So once you release this, you're going to try to make one game a year. If you had to make two games a year, do you think that would even be possible? And if you did have to do that, what would you do differently? I, would, um, I wouldn't program myself. Okay. And what about the music? Because it sounds like you're doing every aspect of the game. Well, I have recorded a bunch of music for this game. I wanted to do the music for Platypus, and then it just became too ridiculous. Um, I'd worked on it for too long, and I hadn't done the music, and I just, I just said, look, I, I, I can't do the music. Someone's, you know, get me some music, because okay. I, I can't afford to do the music as well. But I would have liked to have done the music myself. I'm hopeful that I will end up doing the music for this game myself. I do have a bunch of music recorded. I haven't quite decided how much of that I'm going to use because it's more of an issue of download size. Um, because I like to play live instruments, you know. Okay. Um, so that so they're not made the way that most um, video game music's played, and they often, you know, I'd I'd like to use more 
download size. I could um, I could farm out the music, and I'm quite happy to do that if the game is um, taking too long, and if I know someone who would do the perfect job. But I actually really, really like playing music. I think that's it's one of the things that I like doing most of all. So I would like to be able to put my own music in the ga in the games. But um, okay. Yeah, the biggest thing that I would do if I, if I was going to, um, you know, grow and put out more games and, and be more serious about it was, I, I'd team up with a programmer because I I'm not re I don't really enjoy programming that much. It's um, just a means to an end for me because I want the games to be made and I know that if I want them done properly, I have to do them myself. But I think that I'm probably established enough now that I could find a programmer and if I had some money to pay the programmer, then we could probably establish a little company where I was, um, you know, designing and funding and doing the graphics, um, but not having to do all of the tedious little programming tasks that, because it is if, mostly programming that, um, yeah. If you hired a programmer, would you still do the prototyping or how would that work out? Yeah, I think, um, I think we'd want to be working together. I think you'd want to be working together and, and like I'd like to have an office with, with people with me um, and of course I would still prototype um, in the initial stages like whip up little games and find out which ones were fun and uh, encourage the other person to do that as well but um, it would be really nice to just have someone else to tackle programming tasks or even like to know that somebody else is, is working on um, coding up some AI for the enemies while I'm working on animating the character or whatever. Would, um, there's just, psychologically, um, it is quite a heavy weight to know that you're doing something all by yourself. More than just yeah. the fact that you're doing it by yourself and you have to do twice as much work or whatever. It's the knowledge that if you're not working on it, then the project is at a complete standstill and it will remain at a complete standstill until you sit down and do some more work. And there is absolutely nothing in the project that you do not have to do yourself. <laughs> so that it can weigh heavy. <laughs> Whereas, you know, um, any time when you're working with someone else, to know that all the time that you're busy doing something, someone else is busy doing something else that you don't have to do, uh, I think yeah. it makes both of you work faster, even if you're... So just cleaning up yeah. the house that it feels like that. That's a good question. So now that since you are working by yourself, I mean, do you find that just working by yourself, it's just harder to to have that sense of urgency? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. There's um because nobody's gonna say anything if, if I don't work on the game for two weeks or whatever. Um nobody's Well the people on Indie Gamer will Oh they're not gonna know. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Um, we should hold you t t to it then. Yeah, make me make me release something every two weeks or something. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, so now we're you know still in present day. What are the top five lessons that you've learned then through your whole game development journey um, that you wish you would have known when you first started? Uh, retain your IP rights. Um, don't sign <laughs> anything at the start. Uh, I think it's really important to. to retain control of, of your work even if you think that it's not important at the time you just never know um, keep your options open I, especially if you're committed to excellence see a lot of game developers may not even be committed to the detail the level of detail that you were committed to yeah so. I, I know that um, I, I'm kind of a masochist in, in, in those terms but I'm not really doing it in a businessy kind of way I'm, I'm doing it for the same reason that I do everything, the same reason that I make art or I do music. Or it's just like a feeling like it, this, this an idea that needs to be made and nobody else is going to make it if I don't make it, so I have to get down and make it myself. Um, but, yeah, I think it is important to um, keep your options open. Don't get tied down um, into any deals before you have to. I haven't signed any deals um, for Cletus Clay yet. I've had... A bunch of interest from from numerous publishers and and different people, and I've always said, um, you know, this is great, um, but I can't sign anything now because I can't even say when the game's going to be done. I can't commit to anything. Please, um, please wait until it's finished, and then we'll talk. 
And I think that that's probably the most honest way. If you can afford to do that, if you don't need funding, it's the most honest way for everyone. Um, if you're okay. going to sell something, then, then you've got the thing there to show them. Everybody knows what they're getting into. Uh, so that would be what lesson number one. Second lesson, uh, prototyping. Save you a lot of time. Um, get, uh, you know, stop you from wasting a lot of time. Probably get you to um, work on better ideas and discard the bad ideas a lot faster. I really do. Um, I'm looking forward to when I finish. I say this now. It might not happen. Um, when I finish this game, just making a whole lot of, of little prototypes and, and seeing which which ones of my ideas actually work. Um, so you're talking about hundreds of prototypes then? Oh, I don't know about hundreds of prototypes, but at least, you know, trying out a few different ideas and getting a rough version okay. of the game. Whereas I guess because of my initial interest in graphics, I, I would tend to construct these intricate, beautiful things before I even found out whether the gameplay was good or not. And I'm trying to resist that temptation and, and just make a really raggedy, basic-looking thing so I can find out how well it plays. Okay. Um, so, so I probably would be reluctant to launch into another game without um, quite aggressively prototyping first and trying out a bunch of different things. Um, well, more lessons. Three more lessons. Well, you can do one more. <laughs> um, okay, awareness awareness of everything else that's going on. Um, you know, I would have made Platypus such a better game if I had have uh, researched the full range of, of comparable shooters before making it. Um, I think it's so important to play all of the best games, uh, not just the best indie games, but all of the best games that you can find and really see, you know, what is the standard? What, how how good can a game be before you can judge like how good your own game is? And it's so easy, I think, especially if you're in a in a close circle of people developing their own games, um, and and maybe you're people that haven't been developing games for that long and are doing it on a low budget, and maybe have programmer art or whatever, and think <laughs> I'm doing okay. Um, but to really step outside that and look at all of the games that have been made in the history of games and everything and the most expensive games and the most acclaimed games and the classic games and thinking, how do I compare with all of this? You know, what, how well am I really doing? And I think most of us, probably being honest, would say, well, I'm not, I'm not up there with the really good stuff. Um, but I think it's important, or at least the way that I think about it is that I compare myself with the entire range of games and rather than comparing myself with, with other games that were made by one person at home and saying, hey, I'm, I'm doing really great, um, just looking at everything that's out there and going, well, you know, there's still a long way to go. Okay. When you're playing these games, you know, you mentioned having those consoles and the older consoles. After you play a game, do you sometimes just go back to it later on, just to replay them for either inspiration or even just to see what you missed the first time. And how does that process work for you? Well, I mean, there's so much. There's so much that I've missed. Um, a lot of the games are just being stockpiled at the moment, uh, waiting for me when I return from Japan and I'll have more time and more space because a lot of them are just packed in the cupboards. Um, but okay. I won't be able to buy all these games anymore. So I've been like just hoarding them and taking advantage of the time and in Japan, I've been buying lots and lots of games and lots and lots of records that I haven't got time to listen to. So a lot of the games have only really had a 10-minute look-in, um, just so that I know what it is. And, okay, it's like this, and then I, I, I know that it works. I put it away. Um, but like I say, there are games that just hook me, and, and I'm doing something else, and I'm thinking, I want to play this game. And, and I'll fire it up and I'll play it again. But I guess um, if you're looking at for a, um, like if there's any sort of conscious process as a game developer for what I go back to, I guess in the initial stages when I was thinking about yeah. game ideas, I would look over all the games I've played and think about all my memories and think, well, these games are kind of similar to what I've my idea is, and I would do that in the initial stages, just play those games or any game that 
I had in my mind, I, I would think when I'm bef even before I prototyped it, I might play games that I felt were similar just to help me sort of imagine what my game could be like. I think it's quite a good visualization tool to play similar games and also to get you into that frame of mind. But that that sort of really consciously looking at games like that would only really happen in the initial stages of constructing an idea okay. and it's been a long time since I've been in those initial stages. Okay. Uh, last thing I want to mention and ask about is uh, the gaming culture in Japan. Uh, do you find it intimidating then that, you know, because of the intense gaming culture there, I'm like doing small games or the, what, what like are your thoughts the hardcore on? players or just like the, the enormous industry? Yeah, the enormous industry. Well, it doesn't really intimidate me as a game developer. Uh, it intimidates me as a consumer, um, but that's like <laughs> everything in Japan intimidates me as a consumer because there's so much here. There's yeah. so many things to buy. Um, but one of the things that really um, you really start to notice is um, that most of the games are really rubbish. Uh, I go into shops, there's hundreds, I'm looking at racks and racks of hundreds of games, and I'm not interested in any of them, and there's a few games that are fantastic, but I, I mean, I'm not worried about there not being enough good games out there, because there are, but there's a huge mountain of, of really mediocre games, and so I, I'm not really worried about that. The other thing is that I'm not, I know that what I'm doing is kind of, a little bit different. For better or worse, it is kind of distinctive. I, yeah. I think you'd notice one of my games in a sea of these games that are all really similar <laughs> to each other. Um, so I'm, I'm not worried about being buried under that because I think there, there's something that stands out there. Just, well, just with the clay stands out. Um, and, and I'm not so worried as, as a consumer. Once you get through it, I mean, it's initially, it's daunting to go to, to a, a five-story game shop um, and seeing and seeing five <laughs> stories of games and thinking I, I can never get to grips with it but after a while you, you're just like you can look at a whole shelf and go well that that shelf or that entire floor has nothing of interest to me in it okay cool so any last words you want to give up-and-coming indie developers um, well, I don't know if I should give advice to anyone because my advice is probably terrible advice. It's not the kind of advice. I mean, I say. Well, I, for the I, artist with yeah, the indie game. I, well, you know, I speak. I speak out a lot um, on the forums and things about things that I believe, but I don't necessarily recommend that people follow my advice because it's not often good advice to take if if you're um, looking to sort of further your career or whatever. But it's. When I speak out on things, it's just because I feel that this point of view is is also valid, and and this this is something that I believe in, and I'm and saying it just just so that this other point of view should be heard. But I'm kind of uncomfortable with you know if if people wanted to follow um, that kind of advice, they shouldn't be thinking about personal gain because they probably you know it's not going to happen that way. I'm, I'm advocating hardship. I'm advocating people. Uh, <laughs> people suffering for no good reward um, just because they feel like it's somehow important to them. Um, so if, if I was going to give advice for, for somebody who was, who was coming up, I would hope that they know why they're getting into it. Either, um, either they want to make great games and they should be prepared to put in a lot of hard work and um, to suffer for it, or uh, they want to make money, in which case they um, they should do their research and, and be a smart businessman. Okay, cool. Thank you very much, Anthony. Take oh, care. Thank you.